Uh, we're going to shift gears. We've been talking about the kingdom of God for six weeks. I uh, want to do something different for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about uh, starting out who and how God is. And so, uh, who is God and what is God like? The scriptures say verbatim that God is love. The scriptures also recount for us that Jesus claimed to be one with the Father. Paul tells us that Jesus was the exact representation of God's being, that in Jesus the fullness of God dwelt. And this person, the God-man Jesus, uh, said of all of the commands in the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of them, the most important of those is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and as a part of that, to love one's neighbor as one loves oneself. And so one of the ways that a person loves God is through loving one's neighbor as oneself. The greatest command, what it's all about, according to Jesus, is love. And to love someone in the scriptures does not refer most of the time to romantic love. It is not dependent on outward beauty or magnetic attraction or how the object of one's love makes one feel or what the person one loves can do for one. Rather, to love someone according to the scriptures in the way that most often is spoken about as Christian love uh, is to see the reality and the essence and the image of God in another. It is to bless another person, it is to wish another person well, it is to have another person's well-being in mind, and it is to actively devote oneself to such. Mercifully, kindly, tenderly, generously, and sacrificially. This is love. And not only did Jesus say this, that this is love, that this is what it is all about, that it is most important, that this is the ultimate in life. But Jesus also embodied these ideas and he modeled them for his students, for his apprentices, for his disciples, which we will see this morning and during the coming weeks as we sort of dig into this a little bit deeper in the scriptures. But first, uh, before we get going in the word, let's pray together. God, we ask that you would help us set aside whatever worries we have, whatever distractions we have, that we would be able to be attentive to you and to you alone, to your will, to your word, and to your way. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So reading from the Gospel of Matthew, starting at chapter 8. Verse 1, listen closely, this is the word of God. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately the man was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, which was what the Old Testament law required to make sure that he was really healed before he was reintegrated into society. Go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. 
to bear witness to them, to show them the most important people in the healing structure and process in that society in that time, that they were in fact well, that he was in fact well. And so begins chapter 8 of Matthew's gospel, which immediately comes after chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's gospel, which together constitute what many of you know is what is called the Sermon on the Mount, which is the collection of Jesus' most important and in many ways powerful or greatest hits. And some of the most important truths that Jesus taught about spiritual formation, about abundant living, about purity of heart, about healthy relationships, about noble character, about life with God, and simply about goodness that have ever been spoken that he ever taught. And Matthew begins chapter 8 of his gospel right after the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus coming down from that mountainside where he had taught, and in his coming down, Jesus is both meeting people where they're at in their daily living and existence, in contrast to up on the mountaintop, up at Mount Hermon, out on a spiritual retreat, out for a spiritual high in church on Sunday morning, worshiping in the sanctuary. In contrast to all of those things, Jesus comes down from the mountainside to where his disciples and we live our everyday lives to where the large crowds would follow him and where they would all attempt to live out the teaching of Jesus, to put into practice the teaching and the way of Jesus. Up on the mountainside, Jesus would teach. Down in the grind of daily life, Jesus would live out what he had taught. And he would show his apprentices, his students, how to do the same. And then... A man, a man with leprosy confronts Jesus, comes, kneels before Jesus, and says, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. The man bows down before Jesus. The Greek word here for kneel is the same verb that's used back in chapter 4 when Jesus is being tempted by the devil in the desert or the wilderness. If you will bow down and worship me. The man bows down before Jesus in worship. The Greek word Uh, gives us the sense of a fullness of his body. He's all in before the Lord. And he shows Jesus respect when he says, if you are willing. He doesn't attempt to usurp Jesus' prerogative. He doesn't assume anything. He says, if you are willing, and he knows the importance already of Jesus' prayer from chapter 5. Thy will be done is always to be our prayer. Thy will be done. And without attempting to usurp Jesus' autonomy, the man nevertheless professes his faith in Jesus. You can make me clean. You can make me clean. And now the reader, all of a sudden, like those who originally witnessed this interaction between Jesus and the man with leprosy and all of these people gathered around a huge crowd, realize that Jesus is now at a crossroads. He was a rabbi before whom was a man with a skin disease generally known as leprosy and what is called leprosy in the Bible, which may or may not have been what we call today Hansen's disease more formally. Whatever that man had made a person in that culture ceremonially unclean, meaning unfit to present oneself before God in worship. And here was this man. And there were a variety of things in the Old Testament that would disqualify someone for, for coming before the Lord in worship, for entering the temple, for being a part of the community of God, interacting with anything that was dead, interacting with any skin disease, touching a dead animal, touching a dead human body, 
touching or having contact with a variety of bodily fluids, having contact with human blood. All of those things disqualified a person and made them ceremonially unclean. They represented death to the Jewish people and could not, therefore, be in the presence of the God who is life. And people of the time believed that leprosy was highly contagious, that this disease or condition that, according to the law, disqualified a person from being in God's presence could be easily and automatically passed from one person to the next. There was a tremendous amount of fear around this thing called leprosy, a tremendous amount of unknowledge and fear. A person with leprosy couldn't live in a walled city. They couldn't live near other Jewish people. They couldn't live in Jerusalem. And therefore, they couldn't even come close to the temple where the fullness of God's presence was thought to have dwelt. They were distanced. They were the most ostracized people in all of Israel. Feared, rejected, pushed to the perimeter and beyond. They were the original untouchables. We've been talking about India and the people of India and the Dalit people, the untouchable people. These were the original untouchables. There was a six-foot rule that out and about along the roadside that they couldn't get within six feet of someone unless they, uh, lest they accidentally stumble and fall toward them or someone falls or accidentally trips and comes even nearer them and there's contact. There was a six-foot sort of perimeter around these people. They couldn't come closer than six feet to any person. Imagine the lack of human contact and what that did to their spirits and to their souls. They had to shout to give people even more than six feet of distance uh, warning unclean, unclean, unclean. The law said they had to shout it out and in so bring shame upon themselves. Unclean, unclean, unclean. They were supposed to wear their hair disheveled so that they could visibly be seen from afar that these were not clean people. They had to wear a mask over the lower part of their face as is happening more frequently today so that people could tell and so that they couldn't breathe on other people. They lived a sequestered or a quarantined life and existence, cut off from their people and in many ways cut off from their God. And the rabbi Jesus finds himself at a crossroads, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And we know what Jesus could do with just his words because he did it at other times. Jesus healed people from afar, even miles away, not anywhere in their presence or even sight, by simply speaking. We know what Jesus could do. We know that in speaking, Jesus calms the storm, and he can calm the storm, not just that's the weather, but the storms within us and among us with just his words. And yet Jesus steps into this one. He reaches out his hand. And Jesus touches the untouchables. All at once doing what he did not need to do. Making himself a rabbi. At that moment, in that moment. Unclean. 
risking picking up a disease because he was, after all, fully human as well as fully divine, a disease that would make him, Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord himself, an untouchable. But it was for this reason that he actually came in the first place. Up on the mountainside, he taught the way of love, and now in the trenches, he shows what love looks like. There's a, uh, a man in history named Father Damien. He was born Joseph de Voister in Belgium to a simple farming family, the seventh of seven children, the fourth son in that family. He sensed a call early in his life to uh, the ordered life of the church and so uh, followed a couple of his older siblings into uh, the order, a, a particular order in the Catholic Church at that time. His older brother, one of his older brothers, was to be sent off on a mission to Hawaii, but himself got sick and so wasn't able to go. Joseph, whose name was later changed to Father Damien, volunteered to go in his place. And he served on the island of Hawaii, which wasn't, uh, was still geographically where it is today. But people didn't go to Hawaii then. 150 years ago for the reasons and in the ways that we go to Hawaii today. And he went and he served and he served and several years into his service there as a priest, there was uh, someone that was needed to be sent to a colony of leprous people out on the Kalau Papal Peninsula about 900 or 1,000 people who had been taken away from all of the rest of the Hawaiian people and sequestered or quarantined in a place so they wouldn't get everyone else sick. And so Father Damien volunteers to go, along with a couple of others, and the priest who oversaw them all chose him. And he said, uh, you may go, be careful among them. And again, Back at that time, they had no idea and thought this is a very contagious disease. He served among them for 10, 11, 12 years before he himself began to realize that he had contracted this disease. But he went among them to love them, to serve them, to be with them, to encourage them, to support them, to bring into them resources that they could not have on their own. He served with them for another five years, slowly losing feeling in his limbs, dealing with different maladies related to leprosy. They didn't know back then that about 95% of people actually are naturally immune to leprosy. He apparently was not one of them. He died at the age of 49. Still a relatively young man. A painful and awful death among people who he served and whom he loved and for whom he poured out his life in the way of Jesus. And that's not an unusual story in some ways because this has been the way of the people of Jesus since the beginning. Rodney Stark in uh, his book, The Rise of Christianity, tells about how in the first couple of centuries of Christianity, while the church was still under great persecution, and yet growing in that persecution, there were two huge famines, one in the second century, one in the third century. And this is what Dionysus 
wrote about in the year 260. He wrote, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. In the midst of this second great epidemic in the early world. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another, heedless of danger. They took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with a disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Which sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Whom the Apostle Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, that God put on Jesus the sin that belonged to us and puts on us the righteousness that belongs to Jesus. Jesus took on our death and gave us his life that we might live. To such we are called in Christ. The Christian faith, the Christian way, the way of Jesus is the only one of the world religions that has always and everywhere accepted and welcomed and cared for people with leprosy. It's just a historical fact. And so in an age of another epidemic, we don't know what's going on in the world today. We don't know what next week will look like or next month or a year from now. But we know to which we are called as the body of Christ. We're called to practice the best practices of public health, of course, to watch out for ourselves, to care for those who are susceptible to those who are on the edges. But we aren't called out of and away from and to be afraid of the things that maybe the world is afraid of, but rather in Christ, like Christ, are called into those things. Are you with me? It is a different calling that we are given. Jesus did not run from quarantined people. He ran to them, and he loved them, and he gave his life for them. It is a wholly, wholly different way. Martin Luther King Jr., on the last day of his life, the day before the last day of his life, was teaching about what we call the Good Samaritan, that story of Jesus in Luke's Gospel. And as King unpacked that story, he talked about how the Samaritan thought, what will happen to that man if I don't care for him? But he also thought, what will happen to me if I don't care for him? Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you must lose it. But anyone who loses his life in my name, for my sake, we'll find it. We all want to find life, get life, grasp life, 
That's the way of the world. It's the way of our human nature. We grab life. We hold life. We squeeze life. We want life. We claim life. And Jesus says that as we do, in some ways, we lose it. But anyone who gives up his life, who lets go of his life, who gives away their life, who surrenders their life in Christ, will find it, will have it, will get it. The kind of life that Jesus called eternal. This is what we want. This is what he offers. For this we strive, even in an age of quarantined people. Let's pray. We thank you, God, that in Jesus, your Son, yourself, you have shown us another way, a different way, and a better way. A way that's contrary to the world and contrary to our nature, but a way that radiates in beauty, in glory, and goodness, in salvation, in hope, your way of love. Help us off of the mountainside in the valleys, along the roads, in the trenches of daily life, to live the way of Jesus by your grace and with your help. And in so doing, may we experience and have eternal life and life in your kingdom with you now and forever. Amen.